0: Yo, yo, welcome back. It's Rob Howe. This is Diabetics Doing Things. I am working my way through my COVID stash. I've only got a couple episodes left before we can start with new programming, but I'm not gonna make or record anymore until I get these episodes done. So thanks for hanging with me. Did want to say before I introduce this week's guest, whose name is Nicholas Karakandas from Cape Town, South Africa. Did want to apologize. We did this interview back in April. It's great. It's the first person from Africa on the podcast, but not the last. We're going to do a whole lot more here very soon, but I should have prioritized this interview to get out sooner. So Nick, I'm sorry it took so long. He's diabetic underscore athletic on Instagram, diabeticathletic.com, and he was diagnosed at age 10 as a type 1 diabetic, and we are on this podcast talking all things diabetes in Africa, diabetes and fitness, entrepreneurialism, starting your own business, It's going to be a fun one. So please enjoy this interview with Nicholas Karakandas. Everyone, before we get to this interview, I just want to let you know that we have a new newsletter that is going out every single month. It's called The Drip, and I'm super proud of all the hard work that Eritrea has put into it. It's basically a monthly roundup of what I've been thinking and a little bit of a just background on what's going on with me, as well as all the things we've been up to at Diabetics Doing Things. If you don't know On Mondays, twice a month, we're doing a Doing Things Day takeover. So, twice a month on Monday is Doing Things Day on Diabetics Doing Things Instagram. That's where we're giving the Instagram login and letting someone take over to tell us about their day. We've had people from all over the world, we've had people from Lebanon, people from Gaza. So we're going places we've never been, and we're covering topics we've never covered. We've also done two takeovers here in the United States, so some at home, some away, ultimately trying to showcase a lot of different perspectives and diverse perspectives of life with diabetes. So if you want to catch a roundup of all that stuff, subscribe on DiabeticsDoingThings.com to The Drip, and just have a little bit of fun in your inbox from a diabetes perspective. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world, and all over the world is a key today because my my next guest is joining me all the way from South Africa. Please welcome Nick to the show. Nick, I don't want to butcher your last name. How do you spell, so How do you say your last name? So it's Karakandas.
1: So Nick Karakandas. Uh, but, uh, okay. Yeah, but we all say we all say Karakandas. Karakandas is good.
0: Okay, good. All right. Well, uh, my. <laughs> My U.S. like my American Texas accent is just butchering uh, your your South African uh, <laughs> <laughs> vernacular, so I apologize. Uh, but welcome to the show, man. You have lived with diabetes for I, I believe like twenty three years. So why don't we give it a, a start on like diagnosis, and then we'll learn a little bit about you. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for thanks for having me on the show. I'm really I'm
1: really happy and excited to be here. Um, well, starting a diagnosis, gosh, okay. So I was 10 years old when I was diagnosed with diabetes. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said before, my mom had uh, been diagnosed with type one diabetes five years prior to me. So I dealt with it, you know, I suppose vicariously through her for about five years. Uh, and so it started just before I was, uh, heading to high school, just as I was uh, at about two years left of primary school. And, um, yeah, it was it was tough, you know. I I had a really good endocrinologist at first, and uh, he kind of set really good foundations for me, um, and that was really that was really that really helped. You know, he basically told me that diabetes was going to be the biggest part, the biggest thing in my life, and I had a I had a choice at that stage where I was either going to let it control me or I was going to take, make a choice and control my diabetes. And for a 10 year old, uh, that was, that was, it resonated with me more than it should have. So Hmm. it was, it was really good. And he said, you know, you can eat whatever you like. You just like, as long as your sugars are in range. And so those two things are one of the most foundational factors that I actually pass on to my own, my own clients. But, uh, I suppose high school happened high school as a diabetic teenager is difficult. Uh, we don't listen. You know, our minds as kids are not wired to think of future consequences, right. just isn't. So diabetes didn't really feature much in my high school career. I mean, there were days where I just didn't even carry my insulin with me. I left it at home. Uh, and that's uh, that's not great. However, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that happened.
0: And I think, you know, it speaks more to being a teenager than I think it does being a person with diabetes because... You know, when you're a teenager, you don't want to listen. You feel like you know everything. You definitely don't want yeah. to listen to your family. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of. I think a lot of people look back and they say, "Oh, my teen years with diabetes were really tough." But really, it's just your teen years are tough, and sometimes diabetes In is part of that. Yeah. AI and and diabetes compounds that. I
1: didn't grow up with my parents though. So I was staying with my grandmother from quite a lot, from quite a young age. So there I was funny enough she's also diabetic, my dad's mom. So she but she's type 2. Um so she was you know she was a great. She is a great grandmother. Um but uh not not yeah, she wasn't present. So there was really no one to check up on my diabetic control. And so the overwhelm almost set in as den- denial, I guess. And for many years, that's what it was. However, you know, I'm good at making a long story longer. I, um, I got into the fitness industry at the age, well, I knew I wanted to be there at the age of 17 because my endocrinologist, like I said, he said to me that there's, you know, there's really only one way to really manage your diabetes. And that is through training and nutrition uh, with your medication. And he said, and he spoke to me about a triangle of control. And I actually call it now the diabetic athletic triangle of control. Uh, and that is really how I, I see diabetes is that it, there's three sides to the control. Um, and, and, uh, and that was when I was choosing a job, that was pretty much where my mind was at. I was like, cool. So I need to choose a career where I'm going to be able to, Concentrate on training and nutrition before my medication. I can't be behind a desk. I can't be too corporate. Um, you know, I enjoy sport. Uh, I played first team in quite a lot of sports. Uh, made inter-province um, sports, and I thought, no, that's definitely where it needs to go. So, um, I job shadowed nutritionists. It was a very female-led industry at that time, uh, so that's not where I went. Uh, biokineticist was also good. Um, the studies and the the discipline where biokineticists are concerned was really more rehab than it was um, performance, and I suppose the aesthetics is what I was really into right. at that stage. So personal training was where I where I headed with that, and I thought, no, I can definitely you know nail my nutrition and my training, and I can look after my diabetes while earning a living. And personal training led into earning my first fitness facility. And that was at the age of 23. I had, um, it was a hairy story. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into it. it was yeah, quite why not? Good, but I'm um,
0: a... I, I think, uh, you know, you were talking <laughs> about uh, making a long story long. Like, sounds like you're perfect yeah. for a podcast because that's basically <laughs> what this is. Oh man, you got to be careful what you
1: wish for. I can seriously <laughs> make a long story longer, but uh, I'll, I'll leave out the boring bits. I had worked at a gym for uh, about three and a half years and um, I was working about 120 hours a week which is it was a lot. Uh, I was working from 5 a.m. in the morning till like 8, sometimes 9 p.m. at night with two hours break in the day. So I went from thinking that I was going to really manage my diabetes well to not even having time to really manage it that well because I was on the gym floor. Um, That didn't happen for too long, uh, but three years is a long time. And, uh, well, I got offered to buy into the gym, um, and so I did for 15% and uh, ended up, it ended up at about 20%. And I thought, you know, great, you know, we chase titles when we're young and titles are everything, although they're not important at all. We realize this as we get older. And, and I was like, wow, okay. So I've moved up from personal trainer to gym owner. This is great, 20%. I was like, sweet. Um, you know, they were taking fifty-five to sixty-five percent of my salary at that time anyway. So it was 120 hours, but still kind of selling the TV to pay for the TV license at that stage. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, being, being 22 years old, 23 years old, I didn't actually find out much about the business. So I'd actually bought 20% of 3 million rand debt that the gym had. Uh, so that was a shock to the system. So I went from, yeah, it was the start of my career to going, cool, well, now I'm 3 million in the red. Uh, what now? And so my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife and mother of my child, Uh, She's an attorney and she basically came in and and said to the owners, Nick's going to take the assets of the business and you guys are going to take the liabilities because it's yours and that's where it's come from. And um, that was that. And that was how I had my first, I suppose, clientele base all to myself. Uh, And I really had to roll with the punches in and learn how to manage a fitness facility and and everything, tax, business, people, uh, and everything else from there.
0: And I think that's one thing that I love talking to people who own their own businesses about because the challenges that you're describing kind of, they just come with a territory, right? It's like you yeah, say you want to own your own business, but you don't really know what goes into that until you buy into it. And you have to, like. Uh, everybody thinks it's so cool to work for yourself until you are working for yourself and like not doing a good job. And you have to like give yourself a performance review you know like yeah because no one else can manage it for you yeah and in the deep end I mean it was deep
1: end of note you you either swim or you sank it was just one of those things kind of like diabetes right we don't know anything about it we got it and we just say right you can deal with it and hopefully live well or don't deal with it and you know complications come knocking so that was that and obviously being a diabetic I had started diabetic athletic at that stage already I had uh you know i was making diabetic athletic tops and i had a blog diabetic athletic you know free blog and so on and i wrote articles about it but i never really got into the diabetic niche because i didn't feel as i didn't feel educated enough to do so so i kept it very non-diabetic with a diabetic athletic kind of name and it was on my my sports performance and uh, and so on um And so that went on. I uh, closed that gym down um, just because the lease came to an end, moved up uh, to a facility double the size. And that was for another three and a half years, moved out of there, moved into an even bigger facility. And then I really started to take diabetic athletics seriously. I mean, I'd been, I'd owned fitness facilities for about eight years now, then, uh, and realized that there's really no money in the, owning of gyms the it's it's difficult to make a good living because the overheads are so high margins are are so low yeah 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 and the margins are low so you know rent is really high you need to have a whole lot of members to be able to pay staff to be able to run the facility and then take enough home to to live well um and so i i closed the gym down and i decided that i needed to figure out how i was going to take my in-person training Um, and figure out how I was going to move that online so that I could provide a service either as good or better to diabetics um, around the world. And that's really where I started making
0: diabetic athletic a full, uh, a full-time job. And, you know, as you're making that shift, obviously you really understand the, you know, fitness business uh, from like owning a gym perspective, like an actual brick and mortar gym. Was it, you know was it challenging for you personally did it feel like taking a risk to jump into something that's a little bit more online that did it feel different or did it feel right at the time
1: it felt right but i think it felt right because ignorance is bliss you know i didn't know i didn't know how hard online would be you know online when you try and you know my service comes from a place of empathy because i am diabetic and i've lived the very struggle that i try and provide a solution for and it's a very real struggle and we need those very real solutions Uh, but i had no idea how hard it would be and hard in a good way but it's easy to sell something to someone when you're selling in person because you know people buy from people they like if i talk to you in person and i look into your eyes you know you can you get that feel there's that connection and, and, and it's hard it, to know, say
0: no to somebody when they're standing right in front of you.
1: Yeah, that too. That too. Now online, there's a lot of trust that has to go into it. You've got to, you've got to try and establish like. You've got to try get people to know you and to trust you before they even consider um, using your services. And online, it's not as easy as you know brick and brick and mortar. If there's a gym in your area, you know you need a gym. It's close. You're gonna join because you know what you're getting. And uh, everybody's trying to make money off of diabetes these days. And uh, that is, it's that I think that's also a biggest challenge challenge because there's just so many non diabetics and diabetics that feel that they have, that they, I suppose, not everyone's got an opinion, but um, there's just way too much information out there. And you've got to try and separate yourself from those that feel that just because they have a car, they are now trying to be a mechanic. And that's really not what it is. Um, So what I did was I put a lot of effort into trying to separate myself from that and um, being sure that although I had the terminology, the industry jargon, the knowledge, uh, and the ability to get myself in shape and, and my clients, I needed to try and be above average as to how I could translate my understanding into for my fellow diabetics understanding as far as nutrition, training and diabetes is concerned.
0: And, uh, and that's really what I've been working on and it's been going well. So let's talk about that for a minute because <clears throat> I think it's, it's one thing when you have it down for yourself and you have this plan and you kind of go, uh, you, you work on executing the plan, uh having good results maybe you know just getting in working with a few clients feeling like you're on getting into a rhythm getting on a roll what was it like for you and, and maybe describe the moment where you where you recognize that this is really helping someone that this was like really clicking for you for one of your clients or for you know as you and your client were working through something you're like oh like this is really what i'm supposed to be doing sort of the uh you know, every, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, is what Mike Tyson said uh, one yes. time. So, and business plans are kind of like that. Can your business plan survive a client? Uh, did you find that you know your your assumptions you made were right? Uh, did you have to make pivots? Did you have to change anything? And, and what was it like when it really started to work? Very good question. Wow, where do I start there? Let me just say that diabetic athletic
1: now is... A product that has taken a lot of failure, um, you know. You know, the feeling of being able to help a client and get them to their end goal. I knew that from my years of in-person training. Um, the feeling of being a diabetic that's overwhelmed by our diabetes, not being able to be our own secret weapon as far as our diabetes is concerned, was really why I started diabetic athletic. Like I said. Personally, I knew what diabetic overwhelm felt like. And overwhelm always leads to inaction, always. So I wanted to be there for my clients, not only in that one hour they trained with me in the gym. And that is where, so I kind of reverse engineered what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to do. And I knew the feeling that I had when I was able to deliver the promise. Uh, I just had to figure out how I was going to do that online. um, Be there for, you know, my clients, Literally twenty four seven, but being able to supply that online, and that is um, that's really, I suppose, where the trial and error started. It uh, you know it's been tested over and over and over again. I've had we started diabetic athletic off quite simply. It was a it was a three week program just really teaching people about diabetes, a little bit more about the about diabetes, basic nutrition, and PDF. Uh, training plans and that was it and that was going well but then I realized that you know the prescription is easy to get you can google a training plan a nutrition plan things to do the prescription is easy but people when we get the prescription you know you get emailed an eating plan in your inbox we don't use it so I had to ask myself why don't we use it and that's because there's no there was no accountability and it wasn't enjoyable but it's also just not enough because you know we need we need guidance
0: and step-by-step guidance and guidance. something yeah. that I th- that I think about. Uh, sorry for interrupting you. I think it's uh, you. You make a really good point. So let's just put let's just do a little case study and talk it through. So if I'm online and I want to hire a trainer, I want to get in shape. I'm not happy with the way that I look or weigh, or I'm training for something. Um, mm. So I fill out a form or I make a purchase of like a PDF and it goes into my inbox. And in my brain, something goes off that like, I've done it. I've checked the box. I've, I've got a trainer. I've got a plan. So my brain reacts like I'm doing something good. And then maybe I never go back to it. Uh, you know, like I think somebody was telling me, uh, you know, a guy who's also in the fitness industry was saying that his clients, he sold like, you know, something like 10,000 eBooks. And 50% of them didn't even get opened. So somebody gave yeah. him money for them and they never even opened them. And I was thinking, I was like, it's probably like a dopamine response in your brain. Like, Hey, I've, I've done this. I've got a trainer. I've got a plan. Now I can just say it and talk about it. I don't have to actually it. do it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So how do you, how do you deal with that? A and then B, how did you take that accountability and make it something that's a little bit more tangible?
1: Well that's the difference I guess. You know when you just need to lose weight or when you just want to start training or you want to you know people want guys want to buff up and ladies want more muscle tone they want uh, you know they just want a nicer shaped behind and you know firmer legs and arms those aren't important goals. Those are those are not important to most people because if they were important people would achieve that so those are those are blanket goals so diabetes and helping diabetics is a far deeper uh, value ladder i suppose because there's a lot more benefit to having a program that's going to take away your diabetic overwhelm that's going to make you not only feel better in your own skin uh, but keep you away from diabetic complications which we all stress about as diabetics so you know when a diabetic signs up to the program, they are already so much more invested in it because it's not just a wishy washy kind of, I want to lose weight. It's a, I want to in improve my lifestyle, improve how I feel emotionally, uh, improve the amount of time that I'm going to spend on this earth without complications, uh, but also be a more educated and empowered about our condition. And that is, it pretty much does it for itself. Diabetes is serious and people that are on my program are diabetics wanting to improve their diabetes. So they're invested from the get-go. And
0: I think that investment is key, right? You got to have skin in the game and even to kind of put it into your, your business perspective, like, you bought into that business because you wanted skin in the game. Not you know, not necessarily that you wanted to also take part in the debt, which I'm glad you were able to get out of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you married that awesome lawyer that you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great business decision uh, as well as life decision. Um, <laughs> but you know, you're you want skin in the game. You want to uh, you want to play. You know, for you know, play in the in the big leagues under the bright lights, right? So totally. How, you know, you know when you, I, I love what you're saying about, you know, the importance of people with diabetes, you know, when they come into a management program and the goals are different than just looking good physically, right? That they're, mm. I can live a long, I can live longer with less complications. Um, what's your approach for when you first start with someone? What, do you, what are the questions that you ask as you go in and kind of take on a new client?
1: Well, the thing is, diabetes is diabetes, right? Diabetes is the same for all of us. However, all diabetics are different. So you have to kind of understand where the client is coming from. So, for example, if you were, if you, were you and uh, you came to me, I would want to understand how your life with diabetes has been so far. You know, what are your stresses? What are your struggles? Because if I don't understand your struggles, there's no ways that I can help you to overcome them. And for most people, now I'm generalizing, it comes down to diabetic education. How well do we know how our diabetes works? Yes, we know that. uh, Well, do we? I mean, we all think, a lot of us think because we've seen that carbohydrates are the enemy. But are they the enemy? Carbohydrates are only the enemy to a diabetic that's uneducated as to how carbohydrates affect us as diabetics. So once we understand that we are, one, as diabetics, resistant to insulin, And two, carbohydrate intolerance, we can then make far more educated decisions to live a life where we actually enjoy being a diabetic, where we actually get to enjoy foods that we eat because we've got the empowerment and the education to make educated decisions to live the life we want to live with diabetes that isn't out of range. And when diabetes is in range, diabetes isn't happening. It only happens when our sugars are out of range. And that translates into absolutely everything. When you're not stressed about your your sugars being out of range, when you have small micro wins on a weekly basis that your weight is actually coming down, your sugars are in range, you're less dependent on your medication, uh, that translates into almost and pretty much absolutely everything you do. And that's the biggest win because you see how people's mindsets change. You see how their approach to their own condition changes Uh, and as a diabetic i know that feeling and that is that is exactly why well one why i do it uh, and two i know exactly what's going on in your mind when you're feeling a lot more confident as a diabetic because well we're in the same
0: boat right you've experienced it yeah so i want to change gears and shift gears a little bit if you're if you're open to it um one of the things that i think a lot of my listeners often respond well to when I have guests from overseas on the podcast is learning about what it's life what it's like to live with diabetes in another place so you are the first guest I believe the first guest from Africa on the podcast so okay uh, you're cool. representing all of Africa here so uh, <laughs> yeah. at least for now um, what's what's it like for a person with diabetes in South Africa what just give us a give us an idea of what people with diabetes are going through sure uh that is uh that's a good question
1: so it's changed over the last 23 years that i've had diabetes when i was first diagnosed with diabetes i was getting my insulin at a government hospital um the endocrinologist that i had dr francois Bonici um he's also uh well his wife's greek like me and he's an italian uh but um he moved to a private hospital where he still is now so i was at a government hospital and the government hospitals here i'll i'll healthcare system is not a very good healthcare system. It's, you know, we've got good hospitals, but things aren't run well. And uh, so I would miss a day of school to go fetch my insulin from the hospital. And I'd get there at like seven, eight in the morning and I'd have a number of like 323. Mm. Uh, And the way we wait in queues here, uh, especially the African community, is that they put their shoes behind each other and then they all go sit down. So the shoes keep their place in the line. Um, and then, you know, there's things about theft. You, you know, I had a pair of shoes stolen once uh, by doing that. Um, little did I know that they don't actually bring the shoes that they were wearing. They brought another pair of shoes, and I learned that quite quickly. But sometimes I'd wait there all day long to have to go back the next day and mm-hmm. get another number of like 320-something. Um, so that was that was interesting. But I think in general... Um, for diabetics here in South Africa, it's actually, it's not. I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad at all. Um, if you're not covered by medical aid, insulin isn't too expensive. Um, it's pricey, but it's not too expensive compared to um, to other things. And uh, the insulin that you do get for free from the government hospitals isn't so bad. It's just not as fast acting as I would have liked. I can't remember the name um, of the insulin I used to use back then uh but yeah i had to wait like 30 minutes before i could eat and then it was it was a mission it wasn't as fast acting as a you know Humalog or whatever other fast actings that we use but not bad and the doctors that were on the you know the public system they they're great it's just you are in a very long queue of fellow people using that same system
0: but it's great i mean it's it's not bad and what is what would you say the like diabetes community is like do you think people are open about it do you think that they're more personal and keep it very private is are there you know uh, advocacy foundations or organizations that you know that are to help people with diabetes or anything like that
1: You know, funny enough, here in Cape Town, there isn't much of a diabetic community. There are a few fellow type ones that are trying to get it off the ground, but there are no real type one meetups and that kind of thing here. Uh, In Pretoria and in Joburg, there are, those do exist. And, uh, you know, they happen. However, um, you know, I'm I'm quite a big part of a lot of the groups uh, as far as diabetes is concerned. And the overall education to how diabetics are educated about their own condition is the most shocking part um you know you'll see you'll see quite a lot of questions on the groups saying things as as serious as i can't feel my right leg what should i do i mean you would you know you normally you would go straight to the doctor but that's not really a question to to ask in a in a support group um but yeah meetups and so on the community is small if, uh, if I had to answer that um, briefly the community the community is small people are open about their diabetes um, but uh, the community is quite small here.
0: yeah I think it's always interesting to just to see how life is different uh, in different places and, and I mean mm-hmm. uh, you know in, in the United States we have uh, a lot of difficulties around the affordability of insulin uh, yes. even in a time like this a crisis where, uh, finally, Lily, uh, has capped the, uh, the cost for insulin at about $35, even for people for with co-pay. Yeah. Yeah. So the co-pay is $35 for insurance, but also for people who, uh, who've lost insurance due to being laid off from the, the COVID crisis. So there's some good things happening, but it can be very challenging. And I think a lot of people also, if you have a public hospital or you, you go to a, a state run, uh, endocrine, endocrine center. There's just a long line. It's, it's very difficult. So looking to, you know, spread awareness about what it's like for, for people all over the world. But, uh, you know, for me personally, I'd love to come to Cape town. It's on one of my sort of bucket lists. Uh, it's not an easy place to get to from where I am uh, a little bit, yeah, out yeah. Of the way. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I'd love to come there someday and, and for sure, uh, make diabetes a part of that now that we've made this connection. So, uh, absolutely. Well, you know, there's a, there's a spare
1: room here, so you've always got a place to stay. Uh, but, man, I tell you, if you come to Cape Town, it'll be, a, it's like Monopoly money here for you, buddy. Oh, is it's that right? Uh, <laughs> nine, 19, 19 to 1, you got you as a free holiday, that's for sure. That's not bad. Maybe <laughs> I'll have to move
0: that up the list. That's not a bad perk. For sure, man, for sure. Yeah. Um, so... Let's talk a little bit about you know at the COVID crisis right now. You and I were talking uh, before we started recording, but I'd love to for you to share kind of what it's like for you and your family uh, in South Africa, and um, you know how you guys are coping with uh, the COVID crisis. So it's been interesting. You know we are we've been on lockdown for twenty one days,
1: right? So only essentials can be bought online and uh, from the shops. So none of the shops are allowed to sell anything else other than essentials. Um, no deliveries, no restaurants, none of that kind of thing. And if you're caught outside without a permit, uh, you know, you'll be arrested, kind of thing. And um it's been good because we need that here. Um, you know, I suppose places, you know, America, Australia, UK, there's been a lot more leeway. Um, I just don't feel that South Africa is the type the kind of place where you can give that leeway because you know, you give a hand, an arm is taken, and that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good, especially because we've got such dense populations and communities where, you know, you've got six to 12 people staying in a a small uh, room, I suppose we call it checks here. Um, So the virus would spread um, quickly, and it hasn't. Mm. But that's because I think, you know, our president took action, closed the borders. We did the 21-day lockdown, and yesterday, uh, well, today is day one of our second 21 days. Um, but it's been, it's actually been not for everybody, but for me personally, it's been great. A lot more time with the family, Um, you know, uh, yeah. Spending time with my daughter and my wife, uh, it's been good. It's been, it's been really good, which is nice. And I think a lot of people are realizing that we actually, we fill our days with so much unnecessary clutter Uh, and it's been quite a good cleanse as far as, Well, it could be anything, Uh, the amount of money I spend on a daily basis, realize that it's not actually that necessary. Um, The amount of time that I spend not doing things uh, like food prep or exercise or activity or meditation or something just to grow ourselves as far as our mind or our body or nutrition is concerned. uh, I think a lot of people are finding out that we've actually got a lot more time for ourselves and how important that actually is.
0: Yeah, I think for me as well, like you talked about consumerism and, you know, things that I need versus things that I want, or I just mm. like, you know, I look at my, I was joking with some friends via text, I have this like shoe rack in in my closet and I've worn like one pair of shoes for the last three weeks, you know? So <laughs> I look at my, I'm like, do I need all these shoes? Like what, you know, I think really questioning, you know, what we, things that we used to think were really important suddenly are not that important anymore and we're able mm-hmm. to, Uh, you know have fun with family and friends and uh, eat good food and treat ourselves well and you know exercise and find time for meditation and journaling and reading and things that are good for us Uh, and I think there is just a a good recognition of essentialism uh, and what's really important and I hope that that's one of the things that uh, you know extends beyond this sort of crisis that we learn from because I think it's 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 scary but it's nice to have uh, a reset from time to time of what's really really important so well i'm glad you and your family are safe above all yeah yeah
1: thank you very much the world it was spinning a little bit too fast though i think everybody needed just to pull the handbrake up in some way you know obviously there's those that are getting hit unnecessarily hard during this time Um, but i think as a whole the world needed to just spin a little bit slower and that's what this has done
0: yeah, I agree, and I, and like you mentioned, there's a lot of people that have been affected. A lot of friends of mine and have been lost work, or you know, reduced hours, or furlough, or things like that. And obviously, those are are terrible tragedies, and we got to make sure that we take care of each other. But I agree with you. Uh, mm-hmm. It's nice to have the world spin a little bit slower from now, and and at the same time my business uh, is like and yours as well take place mostly online so uh, it's pretty been pretty much been business as usual for me except in the same place <laughs> the <last laughs> yeah yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah so I actually when I closed my gyms down in June 2017 I actually closed my fitness facilities down um, my lease was coming to an end and um, well the the rate at what my my rent would be going up from what it was, was just ridiculous. And so I decided to, that's when I decided, right, it's going to be online from now. And um, I must say, I, um, I kitted out my garage. I kept the things that I wanted to keep here at home. Uh, it's about 250 square meters, and I built a nice thatch lapa outside. We've got a thatch house, so we just extended the thatch slightly for the gym. And then people in Pinelands kind of found out Um, that there was a gym here and who I was and started eight week courses and that had been sold out for about 95 weeks. And then fast, fast forward, we're here in the, in the COVID pandemic. And I've got to say, once this is over, I, uh, I don't think I will be carrying on training people uh, in person. I've really found the value of the time that's needed for myself which is quite cool and it'll be tough because that's an income stream gone um but income stream gone versus growth mentally and more time for my diabetes and and so on that's important to me and that's that's priceless i think
0: it is and finding that balance i think is very difficult uh just normally uh, but having Tote. something to kick you into thinking about it, like a little bit of external stimulus, sometimes makes it a yeah. little bit easier to make those decisions.
1: Forced to, forced to, which is what, yeah, I say the same thing about diabetes. One day you, you, the next day you're getting told, right, you got to deal with this condition, and if you don't, X, Y, and Z, uh,
0: and so you think, okay, and then you do it, and uh, that's what this has been. Well Nicholas, thank you so much, man, for taking the time uh, and for coming on and just just a great interview. I'm glad we met. Uh, I'm glad we got to have a chance to have a conversation because uh, yeah, you and I think a lot think about things very similarly. and uh, I don't know, it's great to meet you, my friend. Likewise,
1: Um, buddy. Thank you so much.
0: Before, before we go, I'd like to give you a chance to say, if you you wanted to leave one thing that you want to just say to people who are listening to listening with diabetes, what's one thing that somebody with diabetes listening could take away from you? What's the one thing you'd want them to know? Wow. Okay. One thing
1: Uh, I would say that we need to realize that diabetes is important and we can't put ourselves second, um, or our diabetes, if we are wanting to look after the people that are closest to us, you know, often, you'll hear people say that they don't have enough time Uh, to look after themselves because they're busy moms or they're working moms. The thing is that our loved ones deserve us at our best. And if we're not at our best, we can't give them our best. Uh, And diabetes is a beast and we have to learn to control the beast. And it's not hard if you have the right kind of support system. Diabetes comes down to, well, anything comes down to the, the support system you have um and the better your support system you know we need to make as diabetics we've got hundreds of decisions that we have to make in a week and when we've got a support system to help us make those decisions life in general becomes a whole lot easier education uh, understanding your diabetes is very important put some time into concentrating on like i said the triangle of control uh just some kind of activity. You don't need a gym membership. You just need to improve your overall activity throughout the day. Eat foods that are friendly to your diabetes, that don't cause you the need to create more management issues as far as diabetes is concerned. And you'll find that uh, what can be a curse is not so much a curse. It's a blessing. And, uh, well, we're not alone as diabetics. We've got a massive
0: community around the world. uh, And all we need to do is reach out and ask for help. I love that, man. That's, uh, some great advice. And, uh, I totally agree. And I know it being involved in the community has changed my life and, uh, all that, all it took was me to choose to opt in. So yeah, exactly. Nicholas, thanks so much for your time, man. Um, and, but- uh, for people who want to follow you and, uh, the diabetic athletic, where can they find you? Uh, diabetic Athletic. If you're on Facebook, Diabetic Athletic. If you're on
1: Instagram, Diabetic underscore Athletic. If you're on YouTube, Diabetic Athletic or DiabeticAthletic.com. Uh, I've got a lot of free resources out there as well. So it's not all charged services. Like I said, the service comes from a place of empathy and a place of shared struggle. So there are free three-week training and nutrition programs that are out there uh, for you to use. Um, all you need to do is just message me and I will, uh, you know, and I'll send you, I'll send you that via Facebook. And there's also carb counting webinars. So, if there are any type 1 diabetics out there that are wanting to understand a little bit more about carb counting, why we carb count, how we can use it as a method to help us with our diabetes and to work out our own insulin to carb ratios, that is also another amazing free resource. And then, obviously, the YouTube channel. There's a lot of information that I've tried to create in ways that we can understand easily so that we can apply it. And uh, well, that's all there, Diabetic Athletic.
0: Awesome, well, I will also link all those in the show notes when I uh, publish this episode. So if you're listening, uh, check out the show notes and you can find links to everything Nicholas just mentioned. Thanks, my buddy, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you are listening to this episode, thank you so much for supporting diabetics, doing things, you listening to this episode and to this content and supporting me over the years, has continued to allow me to do this and do this work. And I just really love it. If you haven't subscribed to the drip, head to diabeticsdoingthings.com, subscribe today. That's going to be in your inbox on the first of every month. And if you are living in the United States and you have not registered to vote, please do so ASAP for the November 3rd election. Okay, you guys have an awesome day.